Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough. And together, Bruce and I have written, oh, you know this, three dozen cookbooks, something like that, including the great big pressure cooker book, the only pressure cooker book I know on the market that has every recipe worked out for both stovetop and electric pressure cookers. So if you are still of the old stovetop variety, which we, of course, still have some, you want to check out the Great Big Pressure Cooker book, but we're not talking about anything that we've ever made in a pressure cooker today. (laughs) No. No. This show is all about pets and feeding your pets. Mark and I have done a lot of episodes about human palates, expanding what we eat and dealing with picky human eaters. <laughs> Can you expand my dog's palate? And well, we're going to talk- feed my dog's pickled okra. We're going to talk about that oysters because and... Mark and I have two collies, and we do. they have standard some, collies. Yeah, the lassie rough collies, collies, not as they're called in the industry, rough collies. And to be honest, one of them's a very picky eater, and our mm. first collie, who has been gone for a couple of years now, he was such a picky. Wait, a couple of years? Five, six, six, six well, a long time. Yeah, a long time. Wow. Wow. A long and time. the thing was, I was never a dog person. I was afraid of dogs, and when I met Mark, he had dogs, and he couldn't even bring them to the relationship, and it's a whole oh, thing. But I, whole thing. But I eventually learned to love dogs, and now we have dogs, but... I said when we got dogs, I am not cooking for my dogs. Yeah, well, we made this pre- we made this uh, a pronouncement that we were never going to cook for dogs. I did actually. It's my thing. You know, I I love dogs and I grew up with dogs. Uh, I saw the other day somebody online saying how much they didn't want to get a puppy because they didn't want to housebreak a dog. And I thought to myself, okay, this is probably why I am different from a lot of people because I love the ho- the process of housebreaking and potty training your dog. I love oh, see I love it. I love it because it's bonding. It makes me so nervous. No, no, no. I just it's, feel like there's it's no all bonding. There's no, no peace. No, you're wrong. I'm sorry. You're just it's bonding. It's a beautiful bonding moment between the dog and you. You get to actually watch each other, pay attention to each other. I love housebreaking dogs and I must say that I'm rather good at it because I treat it as a bonding experience but beyond that there were the question of feeding the dogs and if you don't know this um collies are persnickety they, they can be they're really they don't like water and they, they're picky eaters well, they don't like water that's very old they have a thing with the smell of water they and they are very picky eaters bruce and i babysat for a lab once and uh, bruce said i'm gonna we were out in the yard playing with this lab and bruce said i'm gonna take the lab in and feed it and he went in the house and i swear five seconds <laughs> later he was coming back out of the house and i was like well did you feed the dog and he's like uh, yeah basically the dog inhaled the ball in one gulp I thought, oh gosh, that's such not a collie. It's not a collie. A collie is, you know, let's eat each piece at a time and examine it and think about it, and it <laughs> might be a good piece or not. But I Boy. swore, you know, doing what I do for a living and cooking and all that, I was not going to cook for dogs. It just wasn't going to happen. And so we had our first dog, and we went to training with the dog, and we have all the treats that you're supposed to give them right. when you're training them. And we had. You know, the kind of dog treats that people buy. Store-bought we treats. started with kib, the kibble as treats. And then we went, you know, to like those fake bacon things that they have dog treats. Yeah, and the dog would do nothing no, with the kibble. He would do a little something with the fake bacon treats. And our trainer, Lori, she looked at us and said, what are you giving that dog? And we showed her and she said, okay, first of all, would you eat it? And we're like, well, no. She said, okay, for training especially, 
don't give that dog any treat that you wouldn't be comfortable keeping in your mouth yourself. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that that's the whole thing. thing. Well, and so began – now, don't gross out, but so began the trip to the store for chicken livers and cooking up chicken livers and cooking up chicken gizzards. Now, uh, listen, some trainers actually do recommend that you keep the treat in your mouth and you take it out of your mouth and hand it to the dog <laughs> and train. That was too far for either of us, but I can tell you that once we switched over to chicken livers and gizzards, that dog did everything. I mean, that dog within a second knew how to sit, within a <laughs> second knew how to stay. It was that we upped the reward system. We did. And the dog. <laughs> The dog just got so much better. Let me just say this works for a marriage, too. But anyway, <laughs> we upped the reward system, and the dog got so much better. But it caused a problem at mealtime because yes, now all did. of a sudden the kibble wasn't good enough even to eat at mealtime. Yeah. So this is our first collie dreidel, and what I decided dreidel. to start doing is I was cooking, yes, cooking. I would cook up 20 pounds of ground beef at a time, and I would season it with a little paprika. You can't use onion or garlic. No, That's good no, for dogs. No. But I've looked at what spices were good for dogs, and I sealed them in little tiny Ziploc sandwich bags, kept them in the freezer, and I'd microwave them and put them in with the kibble, and he ate them. For yeah. a while. Yes, he did. And then he did, got picky about that. So then we started adding cheese to the kibble <laughs> with the ground beef. And then, of course, the cheeseburgers. Cheese, yes, we, as we said, we fed him cheeseburgers with kibble. But, of course, the cheese caused urinary tract infections. It was a whole <laughs> set of problems that went down um, with the dog and the feeding. And now we have that. And, yes, in fact, uh, let me just back up and say, yes, in fact, we did get dreidel on the first night of Hanukkah <laughs> and thus his name. But now we have nosh. And Nosh is another picky eater. We have a second collie, Spritz. Spritz just wolfs down his oh, food in the, anything. in the quickest way a collie can. A collie's nose is very long mm -hmm. and their mouth is very extended. And so it's not like a more uh, squat lab mouth. They can't wolf it down just because of the shape of their mouth. But Spritz still goes head down in his bowl all the time. He can wolf down the rabbit poop out in the yard. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, for sure. That's, they, mm -hmm. well, that's dessert. Anything pellet form. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is dessert to <laughs> them but um nasha is picky again and we've been through the whole tricks with nasha it's so ridiculous and now we're on to chicken and i cook up 40 pounds of chicken a month and i put it through the meat grinder and we freeze it in little ziploc bags but it gets him to eat and it's actually mixing it with his kibble is a good combination he gets extra protein and we just make sure the kibble's got the right stuff yeah it's, it's like but we don't add cheese to that we've had no. the problem with the cheese but yeah it's e it's so much easier if you just stick to pet food so let's talk about pet food and yes. let's talk about what to look for in it it is easier if you stick to pet food and we should tell you that that in the pet food sold in the united states now we can only speak here about the united states where we live we cannot speak about canadian rev regulations or uk regulations but in the but the parameters are similar they're not um, what we're going to tell you is similar in these locales but it's not exactly the same in australia and the uk and in canada but let me just say and in, in new zealand i was looking at all this up this morning but basically here's the deal there is human grade and non-human grade pet food and they are labeled differently in different countries but basically we're talking the difference between human grade and non-human basically we're saying <laughs> could you eat it or not or should you eat it or not well yeah human grade it's actually means that it's been manufactured under constant usda inspection right. that it's safe for human consumption right. and that let me just say that again that definition 
varies in other countries slightly, but we're still on the same demarcation. And you also have to pay attention to whether the food itself has been inspected during the making of it, or was it only made at a USDA plant? If it's made at a plant that makes human stuff, but the dog food itself is not inspected as it's being made, then it's not human grade. Yeah, right. At least that's the way it works in the United States. It works slightly different, again, in other countries. But again, there's this question of human grade versus non-human grade. And it's actually not as big quite a question as you might imagine. That is, it's not exactly um, a life and death matter here. It's mostly a dollar or pound or <laughs> whatever currency your country uses. It's the problem. It's a problem of economics. You can probably, in many cases, we are not food nutritionists and pet nutritionists, and we cannot officially say this, but you can feel relatively safe about feeding your dog non-human grade food, but you're going to pay more to feed your dog human grade food. You are. And later on in this episode, we are going to be speaking to a certified clinical pet nutritionist. So she'll have some really good ideas for you if you're looking to change your food or make it yourself or what to look for in packaged food. But if the only way to really know is the same thing we say when you're buying food for yourself. Read the labels. Um, yeah. If it's human grade, it is going to say so loud and clear. That's right. Now, in the U.S., again, in, in the United States, there are what, eight different markers that can be human grade all the way down to cutter and oh, that's from yeah, and for beef. That's beef yeah. yeah, and beef. But but there's all different kinds of gradings that go mm-hmm. on all the way down to stuff that you might not actually never see um, that actually is going into, as it were, human grade animal feed. So uh, there's all kinds of gradations here. But again, that distinction works with kibble. It works with canned food. It works with frozen food. It works with all the kinds of food that you can find. The one thing that we want to talk just briefly about before we move on to the pet nutritionist is the question of celebrity foods. Oh, celebrity pet food. It is a thing. Yeah. You would think that if someone like Bobby Flay is putting his name on pet food, right, it's going to be super delicious and the, the and his animal's going to like it. dog food, right? His is cat food. His is cat food. He named it after his cat, Nacho. And it's not human grade, but it does say on the label, chef approved. Mm. So, you know, don't be fooled by labeling what that means. What chef approved means there is they gave him a big enough check to put his name on it, to yeah, be re- perfectly honest. Remember all those kind of things like chef approved and... Uh, geez, it's meaningless. It's, it's like online dating. I mean, <laughs> it's just all... <laughs> it's all mm. absurd things that people say that are not necessarily once you open the can you really get to see what the reality is oh man that's <laughs> dating too <laughs> yes and we should say that um rachel ray has a line of feed grade pet food right that, yeah it's not human grade yep it's feed grade so it's not human grade it is that she does give the profits to her pet charity mm-hmm. but again if you were concerned about feeding your animal human-grade food, and if that matters to you, which is going to mean that it's a little bit probably cleaner, it's got a little bit lower antibiotic load, perhaps depending on the regulations of your country, it's got a little bit lower um, residue load of other uh, ingredients inside of it. And the animals that created that food were healthier as yeah, they're human-grade. All those kind of things. 
don't be fooled by celebrity names. There are celebrity pet foods out there, undoubtedly, that are human-grade food. Mm -hmm. If this matters to you, just be careful and read those labels. That's what seems so important here. And before we get to segment two, our one-minute cooking tip, let me ask you please to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from and leave a review. All you have to do is say, we love this podcast, and that would do great. We'd appreciate it. Thank you so much. And now... Segment two, our one-minute cooking tip, our patented tip. And let's see if we can actually keep this one to under one minute, which we never seem to do. Go ahead. What is it? If your canned tomatoes or canned tomato sauce are a little too sour for you, I mean, after all, tomatoes are an acidic fruit. Yeah. Notice he said a fruit. Add a pinch of baking soda. Baking soda neutral. Say that again. If your canned tomatoes or tomato sauce is a little too sour, and it can be because tomatoes are an acidic fruit, add a pinch of baking soda. Yeah, that's the part I want you to say again is add a pinch of baking soda. Everybody knows the, acid. Everybody knows about the sugar trick. Everybody yeah. knows everybody's grandmother put sugar into canned tomatoes. So what's the deal here? You put a little how much baking soda? Okay, a, so, literally a pinch. So I have a sixteen ounce can of potato uh, tomatoes or yeah. a twenty eight ounce can mm-hmm. of tomatoes. How what do I do? You just start with a pinch. You literally put a pinch of baking soda and stir it in and then taste it again. It is it is alkaline. It will neutralize some of the acid in the tomatoes. If you put sugar, all you're going to have is sweet and sour. And if you put a tiny, tiny bit of baking soda, you will neutralize some of that acid and it won't be as sour. This just seems genius. Good <laughs> grief. This is, you know, I feel sorry for the next interviewee because uh, she's got to live up to this. Okay, up next, segment three. Bruce's interview with Debbie Brookham, a clinical pet nutritionist. Her website, if you want to check her out, is PetsHealthyChoice.com. She helps people with the nutrition of the uh, of what they feed their animals. So take it away, Bruce. Today we have a little change of pace. We're speaking with Debbie Brookham, who is a certified clinical pet nutritionist. She's based in Lake Havasu City, Arizona, and she works with clients all over the country. Debbie is truly a dog foodie. So we're going to have some interesting conversations about dogs and food today. Hey, Debbie, thanks for speaking with me. Hello. I'm happy to be here. I want to start with picky eaters. Mark and I have talked about picky human eaters. And I'm wondering, do you deal with picky dog eaters the same way we tend to deal with picky human eaters? You know, there are picky dog eaters, but when you get down to the real reason why they're picky, you find out, oh, they really are picky for a reason. So for instance, if you're buying commercial made dry dog food and you open that bag and you transfer all that food to a different container, So all the fat that the manufacturer sprays on that food at the last end of the process, now the fat has hit air and light and starts to become rancid. So a lot of people like their dog gets down to the bottom of the bag and they're like, they won't eat this anymore. I have to change brands. I have to change food. Well, there's a reason. It doesn't smell right. And our dogs eat with their olfactory senses. They smell their food. That's really interesting. I do find that that happens. But the other thing about picky eaters when, when they're kids and people, mm-hmm. we tend to want to force them to eat. It's like, you have to eat this. How do you deal with dogs without forcing them? And how do you force an animal to eat? Well, first, you never force an animal to eat. They're just not going to do it, right? And if you think about where our dogs came from, they were wolves. They got to eat every two or three days. 
don't panic if your dog doesn't eat for two or three days. It's okay. And most of the time we're finding that our dogs self-regulate themselves. If they want to eat once a day, let them eat once a day. In fact, they just did a phenomenal research study. They took all these dogs and said, how often should we feed our dogs? They found out with 26,000 dogs, the best idea was to feed them once a day. Now, where that doesn't play out is puppies, senior dogs, uh, chronic disease dogs. We don't want to say just eat once a day for those guys, but your normal average dog, we should feed them once a day. It would certainly make my life easier if I could do it <laughs> once a day. And as you know, we talked about earlier in our episode, Mark and I had talked about one of our dogs getting him to eat in the morning. It's just like, it's, it's a battle. Dinner, no problem. But mornings, oh, that's always a problem. So, you know, yeah, we have some people, they don't like to eat in the morning either. Let's talk about cooking for our pets versus buying commercial pet food. You know, I know a lot of people don't even want to cook for themselves, let alone their animals. And Mark and I swore we would never cook for our dogs. Um, but then the pickiness started coming in and we caved. Is it a good idea to be cooking for your dogs? So... My specialty, of course, is recipes for dogs, right? Just like for people, because we want to make sure we're feeding them the best thing. So I always say the best diet in the world is a homemade diet. The worst diet in the world is a homemade diet. When it's not complete and balanced, you're really messing up. So when you're feeding those vegetables, you have to make sure you're steaming them or pureeing them. Blend them up because our dogs have short digestive systems, they can't get the nutrients from the vegetables. So don't just hand them, you know, the broccoli, steam the broccoli or puree the broccoli first. For people who may not understand the idea of complete nutrition and cooking, would those people really be better off with a commercial dog food then rather than shortchange their animal? Absolutely, but as with anything in our market, make sure that the commercial diet that you're looking at one, you want to mix it up, mix up your manufacturers all the time, but make sure they stay complete and balanced. There's a lot of new companies on the market today that are say, let's feed raw, but all they're doing is raw meat, raw organs, and boom, they think that's it, but that's not it. What are they missing? Our dogs need 22 amino acids every day. 10 of those have to come from the foods they eat. So if we think about like a wolf, let's just go there, would eat a rabbit, would eat the rabbit's contents of the stomach. What does the rabbit eat? The rabbit eats some veggies. Those are half digested because the rabbit ate them. So, you know, we have to think about the whole process. So when I complete a recipe, it's complete and balanced and it's not hard and it doesn't have to be organ meat. It doesn't have to be weird foods. It can be homemade cooked foods. So one of the things we talk about on our podcast a lot about people eating is expanding our palates. How can we translate that into our dogs? Is it a good idea to be expanding their diet or should we be limiting them to what we know they like and just give that to them? Great question. They benefit from variety just like us. They benefit by keeping them excited and interested in their food. But if you're going to choose a manufacturer, you're also on that line of, hmm, is that manufacturer doing everything? Are they doing synthetic vitamins and minerals? Maybe I should choose another manufacturer. Maybe I should switch up my foods 
four times a year if, I, if indeed I'm going to do dry foods. So do they have a hard time adjusting to a new food? Of course, like people, some dogs have guts like steel, right? They can eat anything. They're in the trash can, whatever. But and they don't have any problem transitioning. But there are dogs that do have problems transitioning food. So then you want to go super slow. I want to end with um, asking you to give us some tips on upping your game with feeding your pet. How, how can we just make this whole experience for us and our animals so much better and so much easier? So if you're going to stick with dry food or homemade, reach out to a, a nutritionist and make sure you're doing it right. We don't want to get into a whole bunch of medical issues because you didn't do it right. Our foods have more carbohydrates in them, our dry foods, than anything else. That's a real problem because if you say 50%, and that's a normal average dog food bag, is 50% carbohydrates, which turns into sugar, we got to change that. So things we can do, add fresh vegetables, again, steam them or puree them, things like broccoli, celery, Brussels sprouts, uh, cilantro, they can eat that. That's great stuff. Put a tablespoon, depending on the size of your dog, put that, you know, 10% of his meal could be those fresh vegetables. So now we want to make sure if they're on dry food, increase the hydration. Well, how are you going to do that? You can add bone broth to their kibble. You can add goat's milk. That's an added way to add the hydration. Serve blueberries. Put a couple of blueberries every day in your dog's bowl. That's an amazing food, not only for our dogs, but chew them with your dogs too. Sardines. Oh, I love sardines. Sardines, you need two sardines for a 20 pound dog a week. Mix it up, just little bitty pieces of sardine every day. And then serve fresh food treats like pumpkin ice cubes, spinach ice cubes, maybe do a pumpkin ice cube, put a blueberry in that. The dogs love it and you're feeding good stuff. Debbie Brookham, your certified clinical pet nutritionist. Debbie works out of Lake Havasu City, Arizona. You could find her at petshealthychoice.com. And thank you so much for sharing some time and expertise with us. You are so welcome. Chow down. Okay, I found that absolutely fascinating, particularly the bit about the going rancid bit of pet food. <laughs> that seems like a game changer for us because our dogs get so picky as we go down the bag of kibble, don't they? It does. They? And so just I'm from now on, all the kibble we feed is not being dumped into another container. It's being kept in its bag, sealed up. I could put that bag in another container if I want, but yeah. keep it in the bag. It stays fresher. Oh, that just, that is like a game. That is a game oh changer. Oh my gosh, maybe Nosh will actually not cause us so much. Thank you, Debbie. That was great. in our life. <laughs> Notice um, that the goy here is using dreidel, Nosh, and surus all in the same episode. Okay, <laughs> up last. Up, uh, wait, like, what is that TikTok French boy say? Up, 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 lastly. Oh, up, lastly. Up, up, finalement. Number, number lastly. Yes, number lastly. That's it. <laughs> number lastly, our typical segment for what's making us happy in food this week. So, um, what's making you happy in food this week? Homemade potato chips mm. at from the Big Y. <laughs> Big Y is a supermarket chain here in New England. That's so silly. And back in their fish department where they do fried that fish and all no of good. that. That sounds they no good make fish. House-made potato chips. And they don't taste fishy. No, they don't taste fishy. I know, they don't. And they're crunchy and they're thick and they're salty and they're brown and they're a giant bag and they're Oh, you have to get two because you eat one in the car on the way home. No, 
Okay, <laughs> but they do make them so they're super dark. And uh-huh. if you can't get to the big Y and you don't have a big Y making potato chips near you, Move. Consider, <laughs> yeah, consider selling your house or consider it's worth it. Um, getting the extra dark potato chips because they are so worth it. Oh, yeah, the extra dark russets. Mm. Um, oh, so worth it. So what's making me happy in food this week? I think what's making me most happy is that our latest cookbook, The Instant Air Fryer Bible, is out of production. That is, it has passed through my hands. It has passed through the editor. It has passed through the copy editor. And it is now on to the designer and layout. I should say it's passed out of editorial production. It's now into design and layout, which means my life got so much easier as the writer in our team. But I'm very excited about the Instant Air Fryer Bible. This is a book specifically written for instant brands, Vortex and Omni machines. They're air fryers, but you can use it with any air fryer. But it's specifically written for theirs. There are step-by-step recipes with step-by-step photos in it. Um, It's really a great book that includes all kinds of ways to make better frozen things like frozen mozzarella sticks and frozen fish sticks, how to do them even better, or my Mm. favorite, and I'm going to drop it here because I don't care. I'm just going to do it. (laughs) How to do frozen tater tots and the little secret to making frozen tater tots infinitely better in an air fryer is just a little confectioner's sugar. Just a little. Thank you. I am very proud of that hack that I came up with. I had to figure They're so salty. Yeah. And that's part of why they're good, but sometimes they're too salty, and I needed to figure out a way to get them in the air fryer, make them crispy, but be a little different and unusual. And I decided I tossed them with spices, I tossed them with this, I tossed them with that, and then I just tossed them with some powdered sugar. And it's just a and little. And it caramelized it's, the outside, which balanced the salt. But it's also so got good. a drying function because mm-hmm. it's got cornstarch in it, so it makes yeah. them crunchier. And it's extra crispier, yeah, because it caramelizes. Yeah. Mm. It's mm. really an insane thing. And it's not very much, I know you're thinking sweet tater tots, no, but no, it's, no. Not, it's not hardly enough to make them sweet, really, honestly. Mm. It's just a residue to make them crunchier. Oh, it's just fabulous. So that's our podcast for this week. All of that pet food and sugar on tater tots. And, mm. uh, <laughs> and potato chips. <laughs> and potato chips, wow. Okay. Um, I th- next week, it's all about dieting. So I hope that you enjoy this podcast. I hope that you will subscribe, rate the podcast. Even a small rating like Great Work would do just wonders for us in the analytics. We really appreciate it. We noticed that we have lots of listeners in Oregon, Washington, and California. Thank you to our West Coast listeners. We see that on the analytics. Thanks for supporting this podcast. And we noticed that it happens across all 50 states as well as Canada, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and other places. Thanks for tuning in with us, and we hope to see you back next week on Cooking for Smart.